my let's see a couple a couple weeks ago my my daughter my middle daughter sarah asked to to um she's like dad for father's day do you want to hike mount washington with me and um i was like are you kidding yes yes of course i i would so we looked at the weather and we planned on Friday, this last Friday to do it. And uh, we woke up at five in the morning. We were like, okay, let's do this. But immediately the plan got derailed. It was like Sarah didn't sleep hardly at all. At all. Um, and I'm like, well, do you want to go? Or And she's like, yeah, let's still go. I can do it. Um her shoes didn't fit right. We had, we had to find new shoes. So we had to go to Walmart at six in the morning and get new shoes. And, um, and then on the way there, she got really car sick and was, you know, throwing up the whole way there. So I'm like, man, should we just turn around? This isn't happening. <clears throat> but basically we, we did the hike. She, she like pushed through. She was like, dad, I really want to do this with you. Yeah, I know. I just, so we pushed through and we did the hike. We went all the way up the mountain, 4,000 feet. And uh, all the way up, she was like, this is awesome. I'm so glad we're doing this. I'm I'm so glad I can spend this time with you. And it felt so awesome, you know. Um, and then on the way down, though, she started feeling sick. And um, really just she got really quiet. And I was like, are you okay? And she's like, I feel really hot. I feel dizzy. Um, and then, then she announced she ran out of water and I gave her the rest of my water. Um, but w- when we got down to the bottom, we got in the car and she, she just got worse and worse. Like I started driving home and she started throwing up. Um, she, she was sobbing, crying and, and holding her head and said she, she felt like she was going to die. The pain was so bad. Um, I pulled over and I, I called Brenda I'm like, what should I do? Is is Gatorade gonna fix this? Or um Brenda's like, bring her to the ER. Like it, it it's too 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 far gone for Gatorade. So I drove like a madman. Like it was a 35 mile hour town in New Hampshire. I was going like 60 or 70. I was passing cars left, right. I was going through red lights, just hoping I didn't get pulled over. But um we got to the hospital, they got her fluids. And, um, I, I went into the, the, you know, the, um, ER room and I, and I sat there next to her and it, and it just hit me, you know, she looked at me and she smiled after the fluids started, you know, hydrating her body. She looked at me and smiled and she's like, dad, I'm okay. And it just hit me. And then she like fell asleep. But as I was watching her, I just, I just realized how much I love this little girl of mine. And, you know, I posted on Facebook, but it was like an incredible blessing kind of, I mean, that, that day I saw how much she sacrificed to do this with me and how much it meant to her. But then I, 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 my love was sort of tested too. Like I, I, you know, of course I would always say, I love my daughter, but to face that challenge and that test and that, it's in your face. Like I got to do something to save my daughter. It was just an emotional, like, wow. Um, and I just share that this morning because to me, that was, that was impactful and it meant a lot. And as a father, I know every father in this, 
video call can relate to this. Like it, it's Father's Day and it's a time to like honor fathers and have gratitude for fathers. But um, I know as fathers, we're like, man, we have the, it's a hard job, but it's, it's the best job because we love our kids so much. We would die for our kids. Um, and I, I just, I just wanted to say that. And, and, you know, I was reflecting this morning on how, what a gift it is that Jesus came and called God his father and taught his disciples to say our father who art in heaven um, and, and kind of bridge that gap, you know, to, to think of God as a father and God's perfect and God, God knows what's going to happen. And God would drive that car faster than I did to like save us, you know? Um, so I just want to open with that. Uh, Brenda's going to share some thoughts for communion and then we're going to uh, say a prayer and break for communion and then get into Ephesians three. So Sarah's fine. <laughs> She's ac- actually at the gym today. So she is totally back to her normal self. Um, um, but I- I'm glad that everything worked out. Um, so I just wanted to sort of go off with the, um, the Shaw sort of theme with songs of redemption, right? So thinking about, you know, what, what was my song of redemption and what really bought, brought me to, um, understand, um, God's love for me. And so I wanted to share, um, the passage that really sort of like brought everything together for me. Because I was young, I was 18, I had just moved out here from Minnesota. Um, I thought that people were crazy in this church. And um, I, I had a lot going on. And so when I read this scripture, and it's in Matthew 18, and starts in verse 12, it says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go search, go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 who never went astray. And so for me, I was like, wow, nobody has ever put that much love and value on my mm-hmm. life before. And I think, you know, Father's Day can be a, a great time for dads, but I think that there's a lot of us out there that haven't had that awesome father figure who always looks out for us, who we have this close, intimate relationship with. And so it can be a really challenging time. And that's really where I was coming from. You know, I grew up in a family with four girls and my dad had four sisters. And now I look back, I'm like, he just did not know how to have relationships with um, women, one, <laughs> but really with his kids. And so I grew up always feeling less than um, I, we were not the priority. He made that very clear. We had a good home to live in, food to eat. You know, all of our basic necessities were taken care of, but he didn't know me as a person. And so that really... Mm-hmm left me sort of searching, especially in my teen years, trying to figure out how do I, how do I get that approval? How do I feel that love? And so it really led me to, um, you know, being promiscuous at a very young age, Mm -hmm. a lot of alcohol, drugs, um, just sort of, um, I think in the eighties, we were all not 
you know, all didn't have a lot of supervision, but really left me searching. And so when I read that passage in Matthew 18, I was like, I can't believe that even if I was the only person on earth that went astray, Jesus would have still come down, lived the life that he did and sacrificed his life for me. And so it was the first time in my life that I really felt value. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about Father's Day and I think about my relationship with him, it's really not about what I do, what I can produce, the sex that I am, how cute I am or anything like that. It's really my value comes from um, just being God's daughter. So um, I just wanted to share that with you because that is what really drew me to Jesus and to understand um, my value and our value in his eyes. So Steve's going to pray for us. Thank you. Oh, Father, thank you so much uh, that you value us so much, that you love us so much. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice um, of your son that Jesus took upon himself and that you were worthy to, or you were willing to sacrifice uh, your son, Father, for us, God. Um, I just uh, pray as we take the bread this morning, as we take the, the juice or the wine, that we just remember that sacrifice, that uh, price that Jesus paid with, with gratitude, with thankfulness, and that we, we just reflect on what it means for our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, recorded. Um, so it, when Steve asked who wanted to like talk on Ephesians, he, you know, he specifically was like, who wants to do Father's Day? We need someone for Father's Day, Ephesians 3. And I raised my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and then I opened my Bible and looked at Ephesians 3. And if you know me, I got a lot of notes in my Bible. Like all, every chapter has notes next to it written in different colored pens. Um, I looked at Ephesians 3 and it was like blank. There was nothing written next to Ephesians 3. And I'm like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have chosen. What am I going to talk about with Ephesians 3? Um, but since then, you know, the the Bible is amazing and miraculous because, like, if you just take a closer look at things, there's so much there that you can dig into. But I, I just wanted to talk about the background before we start. Um, you know, Steve covered Ephesians 2 last week. Um and Paul in Ephesians 2 has laid out the gospel message to the disciples in Ephesus. Um, verses 11 and 12 lays out their state before Christ with words like separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God in the world. Uh, that's a pretty descriptive right there, that last one, without God in the world. And, and we can all remember when we were like that, right? Um, if you think about it, Paul's preaching or writing a letter to the Gentiles. As far as I know, most of us are Gentiles, you know, we're not, we're not from a Jewish background. But all that changes in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, which is the turning point of everything, but now in Christ Jesus. It's the turning point of all our lives. It's the turning point of history, uh, for human, for human history. Um, 
And it's amazing to look at the words after verse 13 and the words before. Um, in verse 13 through 19, now Paul writes words like brought near, peace, destroyed the barrier, reconciled, put to death their hostility, access, no longer foreigners and aliens, fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. Uh, Paul concludes chapter 2 by describing Jews and Gentiles alike as a building that is built on the foundation of the apostles and, a pro- and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone, which is amazing. And, and the Gentiles were having a hard time believing that, so Paul's trying to drive that point home. He, They're like feeling stuff from the Ju- Jewish people around them, maybe feeling judged, maybe, fe- well, definitely feeling judged, put down, maybe as second-class citizens. And Paul's like, no, you're not. You are part of God's household on an equal standing. Um, and that's how we, he starts chapter three. Now, it, oh, by the way, if any of you want the notes I have on this, I've, I've written these all out. So just feel free to contact me and I can send you the notes, um, that I have. Um, in, in chapter three, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. That's how he starts it. Now, what I find so interesting here is who he is a prisoner of. He doesn't say the Romans. He doesn't say Nero. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which is amazing. And it, so that's Ephesians 3, 1. In Philemon 1, 1. Paul refers to himself also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul writes to Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Already we have key points to Paul's mindset. Who is Paul a prisoner of in his mind? The Lord, Jesus. Uh, God is in total control, and Paul is surrendered to that fact. God has the final say. God has the long-term plan and vision for our lives. Things are going good, right? When things are going good in our lives, we're like, yeah, God's in control. God's awesome. But how do we feel when things are going bad, right? Um, Paul's in, in, in house arrest. He's basically in prison, and he's like, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. When we lose our jobs, when we get sick, when we or someone we know gets cancer, when our church can no longer meet in person, and when the whole country is in lockdown and afraid to go outside, who's in control? I think Paul would say, the Lord Jesus is in control. What 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 are we going to do with that fact? Why are we here? When Why is the Lord Jesus putting us in this situation or in this environment? Is God in control of even these moments? Paul thought so. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What can we learn from Paul's example? Perhaps when we go to work, our boss is not Ted, but rather Christ Jesus, right? And that he basically says that in Colossians 3.23, that work as if you're working for the Lord. When we go to the doctors, maybe we are not a patient of the healthcare system that's maybe probably letting us down or a doctor, but a patient of Lord Jesus. When Paul's plans were derailed or blocked to travel to a certain city, he didn't blame the transportation or the weather, but ultimately he chose to look at it as in Acts 16, 6, 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. God was in full control of Paul's life, schedule, health, and everything else. In Acts 28, 30, and 31, again, I, I can send you guys the notes. I know this is a lot of stuff. Uh, the last paragraph of Acts is about Paul being under house arrest. It says he lived there two whole years at his own expense. No government, uh, you know, checks are coming in the mail for him. He has to pay for his own imprisonment there or arrest and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I think Paul could do this because he he knew he was there for a reason and that the Lord put him there for a reason, right? When we blame everything else, when we blame the government, when we blame, you know, anything else, we, we, we get sidetracked. We get off focus. Paul didn't do that. Paul was like, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Why does the Lord want me here? And it's interesting because while he was imprisoned here, um, let me see. Oh, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, which are some of my favorite books, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, like so jam-packed with amazing stuff. Um, let's see. Can we relate to Paul a little bit? We have been isolated for the last year and a half, not allowed to physically attend church. We have been continued, you know, we've been confined to Zoom calls. Many of us have been affected financially. Our emotions and feelings have been all over the place as we struggle with our loneliness and lack of fellowship. Um, what have we learned about ourselves during these last 18 months? Um, and I say that because I think it would be a waste to let the, you know, this time seems like it's coming to an end and that we're, we're free and that we can go out. But I think it would be a shame to not look at it and go, what did we learn? What did we learn about where we are with God? What did we learn about ourselves? Like, I know for me, I had so many, I mean, well, I'll get to get, get to it in, in later in the lesson, but. I've had times where I've been depressed this last year and sitting home alone going, oh, poor me, you know. Um, Paul did not use his arrest as a reason to take a break or give up. He found other means to spread the gospel and strengthen the churches. Imagine what Paul would have done with Zoom. Imagine what Paul would have done with, with, his, with a telephone. Imagine what Paul would have done with the Internet. You think Paul would have been like, I don't like Zoom. I don't like the internet. I don't like phone calls. I don't think so. I think Paul would have been like, all right, I can't leave this house, but I'm going to do something for the Lord, right? It's very convicting, and, and it's a great example. Paul had a conviction that his fate and circumstances were determined by the Lord. Do we have the same conviction and belief? Are we surrendered to God's will and direction, even when we don't like the direction he is moving us in. These are questions I ask myself as I think about Paul's example. Our, restri our restrictions seem to be over now, and the risk of COVID has greatly decreased. But let's take a moment and think about the last 18 months. All right, that was just one sentence. So we're, we're going to move a little faster now. <laughs> 
So most common commentators believe that the first sentence, Paul meant to link it to verse 14, which is a prayer. So he starts, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles. And then there's an awkward transition to verse 2, where he totally changes subject. So most things I've read believe that Paul was meaning to, to do the first verse and then jump to 14 and go, kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name and continue with the prayer. And I tend to, when I, when I read those arguments or those reasons, I, I tend to agree with it and, and it makes sense to me. Um, we'll come back to the, the prayer later when we get to it. Um, but Paul suddenly changes direction in verse two through 13. Why? Um, I've written down a few reasons I, I thought of in my head, but, um, maybe Paul remembers that he hasn't written about the mystery that he mentioned in Ephesians 1 9. And in Ephesians 1 9, he in passing says, something about a mystery and then that does then keeps writing it doesn't go into any more detail um maybe paul is writing and looks up to see a guard at his door or he moves and his chains rattle on the floor and he thinks will the ephesians doubt my testimony because of these chains and my circumstances that's a possibility he is afraid and the ephesians have lost heart and are discouraged about Paul's imprisonment and need a better view behind the curtain of this mystery he mentions to be encouraged. We don't know the reason he changes direction, but we, when we get into uh, verse 2 and on, we can see some clues. Um, let's look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration, which means it, that word can mean stewardship or responsibility, of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul writes, surely you have heard. And I, I don't know, to me, that's, I kind of have, when I read that, I think maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm in there or tongue in cheek. I, I don't know if that's the right word. Like, sorry, it would be, sort of be like me saying to people who know me, surely you have heard of my brain tumor story. Like people that spend any time with me have heard my brain tumor story. Um, and the reason I say that is because Paul lived in Ephesus for three years. That's what it says in Acts 20, 31. Um, and I would imagine that Paul spoke about his conversion and his purpose to reach the Gentiles over and over again, because you just look at the that the New Testament in every writing of Paul, he's mentioning it. He's talking about it. And even if he didn't, you can imagine people would, you know, with Paul's reputation as persecuting Christians. You can imagine people would come up to him and be like, why are you a Christian again? How did that happen? Can you tell us that story? I, I would think people over and over again would want to hear that. Um. So I think they knew about his conversion. I think they knew about his purpose. And Paul was just kind of saying, surely you have heard, you know, um, which which when I read this made me think of our conversion stories, my conversion story. How important is your conversion story in your life? 
Um, how often have you shared it with others? When you share your story, do people see God's miraculous love and grace? Um, sometimes I've, I've talked to Christians over the years that I'm like, what's your story? How did you become a Christian? And it's, it's like, well, I studied the Bible and whatever, 89. And, um, you know, it took me six weeks, but I made a decision to follow Christ. And I'm like, when I hear stories like that, I'm like, man, there's, there's gotta be so much more behind the scenes to that story. Like he, that person's leaving out so many of the miracles that must have happened during that story. And when you think about it, um, if you think your conversion was just a matter of you reading the Bible and making a decision, then you are missing the spiritual perspective of all that God has done to get you to faith and baptism. We, we need to look deeper. God orchestrated the times and places. God moved the hearts of the people around you. God used the crushing, devastating guilt of your sin and other people's sin to soften your heart and bring you to, to the foot of the cross. Without a doubt, the greatest miracle in our lives was God's grace leading you and us to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We, like Paul, should constantly constantly be referring to God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. And, and it, I say it three times because in the first like seven verses of Ephesians three, God got, or Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul mentions the gift of God's grace three times in that, that short amount of verses. So you can tell it means a lot to him. Let's look at Ephesians. Let's continue with Ephesians three, four and five. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul wants the Ephesians to understand the source and insight that Paul is writing about, the mystery of Christ. And the word mystery isn't like you know, like a mystery you see on TV, like a, a, a mystery story. The word mystery means a truth hitherto hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. It's not a mystery that we can, we could have figured out. It's not a mystery that the Jewish people could have figured out by on their own, by reading the new Testament. It's, it's a mystery that God had to reveal. And he did with Jesus when Jesus came. Um, it was made known to previous generations, but was um, only hinted at through prophecies and foreshadowing. But this mystery is now revealed to all mankind through Jesus. What an amazing time that must have been. The mystery of all those prophecies finally revealed. And I think Paul's trying to hit hit home the point that how amazing, how special this revelation and mystery are. And then in verse six, he reveals the mystery. The mystery, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. And if you want to take this down, he also refers to this mystery in Colossians 1, 25 through 27. The mystery is, is that now for the first time in history, Gentiles are invited on an equal footing to know the glorious riches of Christ, not only to know these riches, but to have Christ dwell in them. And, you know, I was thinking even this morning, I was thinking about this and I'm like, why didn't, 
I just thought it was curious. Like, why didn't Jesus just reveal the mystery? You know, why didn't Jesus, when he was here, go, oh, this isn't just for Jewish people. This is for Gentiles also. Because God knows everything. God has a divine purpose. And God somehow knew that's not the way to do this, right? Um, I don't know all the reasons, but it, that that question was going in my head this morning. I'm like, hmm, that's that's interesting to think more about. Um, let's continue with Ephesians 3, 7 through 9. I became a servant of this gospel, here it is, by the gift of God's grace. That's one of them. Given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me, there's another one, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Boundless, another word for that is unsearchable. And to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden from God. God's purpose and calling were to preach about the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain the mystery revealed by God to him. Now, you, you, you could read this and go, well, that's Paul's purpose. And that's Paul's, you know, reason for preaching and doing all that he did. But check out verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, which we are, the manifold, which means intricate, complex, and beautiful, it can mean those words, wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul, you know, Paul says, this is my purpose, but then he says, this is God's purpose for the church. This is God's purpose for the Burlington Church of Christ, which to me blows my mind. Like we we are to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Isn't it? I think that's amazing. Our purpose is to make the glory known to his, cre- God's glory known to his creation, the physical as well as the spiritual world. And I say the, the spiritual world too, because in that, in that verse, he says, make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, which you might go, well, what, what does that mean? Like, and, um, the word for heavenly realms is used five times in Ephesians. And this is really interesting too. Um, it is translated from the Greek word eperanios. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right which means the sphere of spiritual activity. Like there's so much going around us that we are not aware of, that we don't see, that we don't know about, but it's there. There's a spiritual world that that is around us. Ephesians 1.20 refers to Christ seated in the heavenly realms. So you think, oh, it's heaven. The spiritual realms is just heaven. But then Ephesians 6.12 refers to the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I, I don't know. To me, I'm thinking my first thought was Constantine. I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie, but, um, you know, there's there's like he's doing battle with these unseen forces of evil and good and angels and demons. And, um I, you know, I just think of the spiritual realm and the heavenly realms as things around us that we don't see. And so Paul's saying that our job as a church is to proclaim these things to the spiritual realm also, not just the physical. And if you want 
a little bit more reinforcement on that. First Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then the last sentence, even angels long to look into these things. Which, which blows my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing God, you know, telling angels, go do this task, go do this task, go, go do this, go speak to Abraham, go, go speak to, you know, do this miracle. But maybe, probably God's not giving even the angels the big picture. They, they don't know the big picture. They're like, why are we doing all these things? Maybe. And, God's not telling them the big big picture. He's saying, "Hey, church. Hey, church. You're you're going to show the spiritual world, even the angels, the big picture here, and they're going to look at the church and go, ah, that's why we've done all these things. Isn't that amazing? Okay, Ephesians three twelve. In him and through him, faith in him." we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, let me read that scripture again with a different weight. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The key to being able to approach God with freedom and confidence, in him, Jesus that's it. It's not our to-do list. It's not all the things we, we're, we we think we're perfect at. And it doesn't fall on all the things we're not perfect at. It's about Jesus in him. What a miraculous gift that Jesus was to the world. Now, this next part's pretty, I, I like this next part also, but Ephesians 3.13. The Bible blows my mind, so I get excited when I start talking about it. Ephesians 3.13, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged, which that word means lose heart, grow weary, because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. How are you feeling this morning, church? I have to be honest in saying that there have been many times over the past 18 months where I have felt weary, I have felt discouraged, and I felt like I was losing heart. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe you have felt the same. Um, how do we not lose heart? How do we not grow weary or become discouraged? Well, the answer is found in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, it reads, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, outwardly our bodies are wasting away, yet inwardly our spiritual self We are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, check this out. I don't like I've been getting into the different tenses of of Greek words and stuff. 
But the word for wasting away is the present tense. That means it's continually happening. It's it, We're wasting away. There's nothing we can do about it. The word for being renewed is present tense. As Christians, we are being renewed continually. It's always happening. That's interesting, right? The other thing that's interesting is being renewed is the passive voice of the Greek. That means it's not us renewing ourselves. It's someone else renewing us from outside ourselves. Who's renewing us continually? God, the Holy Spirit. To me, that's in- incredibly encouraging, incre- incredible liber- incredibly liberating. I, when I first read this as a young Christian, I thought, I got to renew myself. I got to renew myself. Like, it's all on me. But this is saying, hey, God's going to, you're a Christian. I'm going to renew you. What's the one thing in this scripture that we have to do? There's one thing in verse 18. So we fix our eyes. That's present tense also. That means it's continually, it's continual, it's a habitual. We need to do it over and over again. But it's the active voice. That means we have we have to choose to do it. We have to make an effort to do it. How do we do that? Bible study, prayer, talking about God, uh, those kind of things. Go in the church, go into fellowship, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not looking at things around us. We need to focus on the unsearchable richness of our salvation in Christ. Fixing our eyes, not on what is unseen. Paul was not fixated on the guards. He was not fixated on the chains. He was not fixated on the house or the room he was trapped in for two years. He was not fixated on the money he had to spend to stay in the room while trapped. Um, He was fixated on the unseen working of God behind the scenes, the master plan by the master architect. He was also focused on his role and purpose in relation to that plan. What Paul was like, God's got this now, but also what can I do? What can I do for God? What can I do according to this plan? How could he be most effective? How could he glorify God even imprisoned in a room? What can we do to glorify God even imprisoned to Zoom? <laughs> you know, Um now, now we're, we're getting to the section where we're, we're going into Paul's very important prayer. And I say it's very important and I, I'll, I'll explain why, but I'm going to start in verse one and jump to 14. So you see the connection. Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have um, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Oh, may, I'm sorry, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Um, a couple words in there. It's, it says, so that Christ may dwell. That, that Greek word means to house permanently. 
so that Christ may be in us permanently, to reside in us, to dwell, to inhabit. Christ is in us. I think, what an amazing miracle. And then in verse 18, that we may have power. That word is to have full strength, to be entirely competent and to be able. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and is a prayer that our church needs as well, don't we? Paul has just proclaimed the gospel message eloquently in chapter 2 and given his awe to laying out the doctrine of the gospel in a very detailed way using eloquent words. But as we are all aware, sometimes the words are not enough. Not because God's words are not unpersuasive, but because our hearts and minds are stubborn and hard. You guys, you know, sometimes with my, you guys who are fathers and, and parents know this feeling when, when your kids feel a certain way, they don't believe in themselves or they don't feel like they can do something. And you talk to them and you try to give them the words. You try to give them your vision and you give it your best shot. Brenda and I have been there. We're like, you can do it. You, you know, you are so talented. You are, you know, you can do this. And they don't believe it. You know, they're like, yeah, I don't believe it, mom and dad. I think Paul is, is, has a fear here. Maybe the, maybe the Gentiles don't believe it. You can imagine the Gentile Christians in Ephesus listening, listening to Ephesians 2 and the gospel being read to them. And what is going on in their minds? They hear the words brought near, peace, destroyed the barrier, reconciled, put to death, the hostility, access, no longer foreigners and aliens, fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. But perhaps in their minds, they are thinking about that Jewish brother who avoids them in fellowship. Maybe they're thinking about the letter another church might have written saying they would be disfellowshipped if the Gentiles did not get circumcised. Maybe about the discussion group where the sister refused to be in a group with Gentiles. Maybe about the church elder who said Gentiles should not have an equal say in the governance of the church. Maybe about the brothers who said Paul wasn't a real apostle and shouldn't be in leadership, right? These are real memories and images, but Satan can and does use these images to block the spirit, to block the word. What images and memories come up in our minds when we read God's word or hear it preached? You have to ask yourself that. I know a lot of times we'll be driving home from church, well, in the old days, <laughs> uh, and Brenda and I will be talking about the sermon, and you know, we'll both we'll both have things will have been brought up. You know, yeah, this was a great part of the sermon, but I thought of this, how I was heard in the past. And I I thought of this. And it's sort of like those things can get brought up and like get in the way of, okay, what was the word saying to us? What is the truth? Paul would have heard heard many of these stories and more by this point in his ministry. So in chapter three, he calls on God's power. This prayer I say it's it's in the most important prayer because he's calling not only he's not only relying on the words he wrote but he's now he's he's calling God's power through prayer. He knows the church needs a transformational miracle. For change and conviction to be born within us, prayer is required because the true work of transformation is in God's hands. 
Paul wants the Ephesians not to just have convictions from the words on the page, but a personal, meaningful, life-altering, real-world experience and knowledge that can only come from God himself. So that, that that's why this prayer is so important. What does Paul pray? For the disciples to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being, that they being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that they be filled with the fullness of God. Is that our prayer for our church? Is that our prayer for ourselves? Do we pray those things for ourselves on a daily basis and for our church? Notice that to have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, you need strength to empower, increase in vigor, be strengthened, be strong. That comes from power through his spirit. It is outside of ourselves. It's a mistake to think this is all about us. Yes, our faith and actions produced from um, faith have a role, reading the Bible, prayer, fellowship, etc. But there is a supernatural strength that we need that only comes from God through the spirit that requires surrender, humility, and prayer. It's interesting because it says to be filled with the fullness of God. That word means like to, to fill a hole. That word means to like cram in. And the question I thought of for myself when I, when I read what that word means is when you fill something up, how much room is there for anything else? Right? When you fill up the hole with dirt, how hard is it to stick something else in that hole without taking out the dirt? Um, that was convicting to me. Like, am I filled with God? If I, am I filled with the fullness of God? Right. Um, it, it's amazing. And it's, it certainly Jesus was as we look at his life. Um, finally, Paul closes Ephesians chapter three with this. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is setting up chapters four through six here, which are going to be preached in the coming weeks. Chapters 1 and 3 of Ephesians have been all about doctrine, what we believe, the truths and mysteries revealed by God in the gospel message. Chapters 4 and 6 are about our lives and what we do. And as 1 Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. They're both important. They're both, you got to give equal weight to both and, and make sure you're on straight with both. And as Steve Schaff said last week, we need to learn, live, and give. He, he put it into a nice little slogan there that we can make into a, a, a sticker on our car, which Steve's good at. We need to learn and be grounded with the foundational truths of the gospel, and then we need to live out what we believe. That's what Ephesians is about. They need to go hand in hand, but to prepare the disciples for the list of to-dos in chapter 4 and 6, Paul reassures them with this final truth. What's he say? God is able. God is able to do. It's about God. 
God is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How does he do it? Does he do it by us writing out a to-do list and checking off all the items? No. He is able to do all these things, it says, according to his power that is at work within us. As disciples, the power is already there, guys. It is already at work within us. We need to believe this and have faith that God's power will transform us and renew our minds. Here's the thing. If if you really believe this, you will do. You will go. You will open your mouth and share and proclaim the good news. If you are sitting on your couch and waiting for God's power to start working, you probably really don't believe that his power is in you and going to work. That That's, I, I'm not saying that like judgmentally to you guys, but this is my thought towards myself. I think I thought about it maybe when I was watching Netflix late at night. <laughs> um, so it was convicting to me. Now I'm going to give you an analogy and Brenda will probably smile at this when I give the analogy, but to put this more in perspective, my brother-in-law recently got a Tesla. He paid more for the model with two engines, right? Um, if you, you know, Teslas are pretty cool. He just doesn't, my, my brother-in-law just doesn't assume there are two engines in it and leave it sitting in the garage. He knows there are two engines in it and he tests it out and shows it off every chance he gets. Every chance. I sat next to him while he gunned it and went from zero to 60 in like a couple seconds. It was like being on a roller coaster. He also did this for Brenda. He also did it for each of my three daughters. The experience was the same for all of us. We all were like, whoa! (laughs) And we all laughed. And his response was the same for all of us. My brother-in-law would look over with this huge grin on his face, right? He's like, yeah. Like he, He was proud of his Tesla. And I think this is a great analogy of how God's power works in our lives. But we have to take our lives out for a drive, right? Our test drive to see what God can do. The people sitting next to us will be amazed if if we take our, you know what I mean? Take it out of the garage. Take our lives out. Go out on a limb. Get on the road with our lives. The people sitting next to us will be amazed and we will look over at them with a huge smile also, right? Of course, we have no reason to mention Tesla and the cutting-edge work of Elon Musk, but what will we say? We'll just look at him and say, isn't God amazing? The victory is already won. The enemy is already conquered. The power of the Spirit is already in us. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Let us walk and live following our victorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with whom we are already and eternally victorious. And that's Ephesians 3. Thank you for listening, guys. I got all the notes, too. If you want them, I can send them to you. Trying to get back to the screen.